for the latest business news and interviews. This is Business Now, AsiaPacific.com. Welcome to BNAP Today, Friday, October the 23rd, 2020. I'm Mike Ryan. Lately, when you hear these countries mentioned, Russia and Ukraine, you think of Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Co-author of Fallout, Seamus Brunner, joins us shortly to discuss the book and the Biden family corruption. Also, Queensland is a week away before its state election. Pauline Hanson joins us with her take on this all-important election. And speaking of elections, Kirk Clyde has his weekly roundup of the looming presidential elections. Seamus Bruder is the author of two best-selling books, Fallout, Nuclear Bribes, Russian Spies, and Washington Lies. That could be the new name for the next James Bond film. And Compromised, How Money and Politics Drive FBI Corruption. Seamus is Associate Director of Research at the Government Accountability Institute, known as GAI. He has worked with Peter Schweitzer, New York Times bestselling author and president of GAI since 2011. Seamus has provided research and support for numerous New York Times bestsellers. Fallout, published earlier this year, exposes the Russia and the Ukraine scandals under the leadership of President Obama. It is a well-researched book that uncovers corruption, scandal and the Washington lies that enriched the Clinton and Biden dynasties and the desperate bid to impeach Donald Trump. Seamus is well-placed to provide commentary on the Hunter Biden emails that have been recently published. Seamus, welcome. Hi, Mike. It's great to be with you. Look, the... Um just we spoke before you must be getting some uh, interesting email with all the uh, the work that you're doing at the moment yeah yeah it's it's been a it's been a whirlwind of a week uh, and or a month and or a year <laughs> it's been pretty crazy but we have been getting lots of emails minor hate mail but it's mostly actually people just coming out of the woodwork to uh, tell their story tell their experience of dealing with joe biden and uh, I, I must say it's not good there's uh people who he's you know stiffed on business deals mm. and there's people who they feel taken advantage of by his son hunter they feel thrown under the bus so uh it seems every every day uh there's another email saying joe biden is a crook yep pretty scary stuff uh he may even be the next president but what is scarier though if they get into this sort of um holding pattern that Pelosi steps in on January the 20th. That's even scary. But that's another, that's another Stephen King novel. Look, you're the <laughs> Associate Director of Research at the Government Accountability Institute, uh, known as GAI. Tell us about the Institute and how you came to be involved. Yeah, so I, uh, I'm in Tallahassee, Florida, in the States. I went to Florida State University. It's, it's here in town. And uh, I thought I studied political science uh, and international affairs. I thought I might want to move to D.C. Uh, I studied Mandarin. I thought I might want to move to China. But I found this institute. Well, no, actually, I found Peter Schweitzer. It was before the institute was founded. Uh, it was 2011. And Peter had a book uh, called Throw Them All Out. And so uh, my dad knew him and said, son, this would be a, a, a really uh, cool place for you to work. I think you'd love it. And so 2011, that's a uh, we're almost coming up on 10 years working with Schweitzer, and he is really just an intrepid journalist, a brilliant, brilliant guy, brilliant mentor. He went to Oxford, and he was a Stanford Hoover Institute fellow. 
Um, and so I've just learned so much and we just keep breaking these, uh, these big stories and it's a, it's a rush. It gets bigger and bigger. What are some of the uh, important findings of GAI investigations so far? So, so the, that first book I mentioned, Throw Them All Out, appropriately titled, it refers to uh, members of Congress. Uh, we, we're a nonpartisan institute, so we do go after both sides, Republicans and Democrats and anyone in between. And, it, and it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. You just pick the, uh, the five to ten worst offenders on both sides. So and Throw Them All Out, we exposed a practice that we called congressional insider trading. And uh, many of your viewers may be familiar with the term insider trading. It would send you and I to prison if we engaged in insider trading. But what we found was really shocking. Congress members engaged in insider trading all the time. So they'd be sitting on the banking or the telecom committee. They'd be drafting legislation that would dramatically affect a publicly traded company. Uh, and they'd, they'd step out of the meeting and go call their stockbroker, say, uh, buy or sell Verizon. Um, and so it was a really shocking practice. And uh, we had some great success. Congress actually, surprisingly, passed a law called the Stop Trading on Congressional Knowledge Act, the Stock Act. And uh, so that we, we consider that we just got actually uh, years later, our first scalp, uh, a, senator, a, a congressman up in New York was uh, convicted of insider trading under the Stock Act, trading on Congre- congressional knowledge. So that was that was the first big story I worked on with Schweitzer. There was a 60 Minutes piece on it. Steve Croft from 60 Minutes did a full, full, uh, full hour, I believe. Um, the next book I worked on for Schweitzer was called Extortion. Um, also appropriately titled, and you'll see that's a theme here. Um, that this was where most people realize that politicians kind of um, solicit donate, you know, donations or, or soft money, um, and and people know that businesses go to lobby and, and just flood Washington D.C. with cash. But we thought, what if what if the reverse is actually true? What if sometimes the government extorts businesses? And, and says, pay up, or else uh, we're going to regulate you out of business. And we found all kinds of examples. The, uh, I'm not sure if uh, your viewers in Australia were familiar with SOPA and PIPA, mm. but uh, these, these were the precursors to what is now known as net neutrality. We called the, there's these bills that uh, Schweitzer called milker bills, where they're really not intended to pass. They're just intended to squeeze money out of people. And so that that SOPA PIPA net neutrality really pitted uh, two major industries, Hollywood versus Silicon Valley. Hollywood wanted the intellectual property protections. They wanted to stop the piracy. That was the Stop Online Piracy Act is the SOPA part of it. And uh, and then Hol- and then t- Silicon Valley wants autonomy and freedom. You know, you can't be looking into our. Uh, customers uh, Google Drive account to see if they've got a pirated movie on there. So anyway, it raised unprecedented levels of cash. It never passed. Mm. Um, and so we find examples like this all the time of bills that are just put into motion to get the industries to pay up. Um, and then, and, and most people kind of think of the government as a form of a toll booth, which uh, it really is. It, it just sucks cash from you every which way, taxes for this and taxes for that. So that was Extortion. Uh, the next book was probably my favorite book. That was Schweitzer's uh, New York Times number one best-selling book, Clinton Cash. And that's where we really blew the lid wide open on the Clinton Foundation. We followed the money. We tracked down the speaking fees. We tracked down the uh, don- Clinton Foundation donations. And we found some really shocking stuff. This is where 
We broke the Uranium One deal, um, which was how Russia uh, and some Canadian investors just poured million, t- tens of millions, $145 million into the Clinton Foundation from investors in this one deal um, that needed approval from the State Department to sell out 20% of the United States uranium domestic supply. Mm-hmm. So uh, Vladimir Putin ha- now has a nice, uh, nice substantial footprint, nuclear foothold here in the United States. And, and that, that deal, I mean, we can come back to that on the new book Fallout because I've really not been able to stop digging on that deal. And I think we finally have cracked it. Um, but the, the, Clinton, the Clinton cash book had a huge impact. It hit New York Times uh, list a full year after it came out because that was right up before the election. Um, and so that was, that was exciting. And, uh, then the one after that was called secret empires. That was Schweitzer's, uh, next number one New York times bestselling book. And in secret empires, we, uh, it had a pretty big China focus. We uh, exposed some Chinese connections to uh, Senate majority leader, Mitch McConnell. But the, the, the really lasting impact of that book was this Biden China, Bohai Harvest, uh, Burisma, the Ukrainian gas company. And, and the story of Hunter Biden, I didn't even know uh, Hunter Biden's name before we started this book. And now look at the two years later, all of those deals have come fully unraveled. Um, people, people know that there's something rotten in Denmark with the Biden family. And uh, so, so that was 2018. That was the same year I published my first book, and that was Compromised. And I, I'm sorry I'm taking you on such a such a long journey here, but Compromised was uh, is probably one of my favorite books I've worked on. Uh, I'm biased; it was my book, but it was on FBI corruption. I, I I got to the end of all of these projects with Schweitzer and wondered how on earth are people not in jail over this? I mean, this is obviously criminal conduct. They're taking clear i mean it's at the at a minimum conflict of interest it actually looks a lot more like bribery but uh certainly conflicts of interest many abound you know unending conflicts of interest and uh so i i, I followed I, I kept coming to the same conclusion after each project well the doj signed off on it in the in the case of uh hillary clinton they issued her a conflict of interest waiver now i don't know why you would ever give a politician a conflict of interest waiver certainly not the clintons but uh, the, the Obama DOJ signed off on it and said, oh, no, no, no. The Clinton Foundation does fantastic work. They're, they're solving the HIV crisis. They're curing climate change. Um, so, so the Clinton Foundation certainly deserves to take in $25 million from Saudi Arabia while Hillary Clinton uh, signs off on their weapons transfers. Mm. Um, so so the, the, the FBI book, I, I, I followed all the top players, James Comey, Robert Mueller, uh, the lower level directors, um, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok, Lisa Page, um, and, and on and on and on. I mean, there's an, the unending bureaucracy. There's plenty, plenty of crooks to find. So, so that kind of blew the lid on the FBI scandal. And, and now I've been working with John Solomon, who's a, a renowned uh, investigative journalist, award-winning journalist from way back in the day. He was at the Associated Press, and he's worked at pretty much every outlet since then. Um, and so we, we broke some FBI scandals and, uh, we're still waiting on accountability there, but the most recent book that Peter did was called, uh, profiles in corruption. It was his, his, uh, publisher, by the way, just the funniest side is, uh, Harper Collins and they, they published profiles in courage, John F. Kennedy's book. 
and it was actually the 50 year anniversary. They came up with the title. They said, wouldn't it be great if we did profiles and corruption? So, uh, Peter, Peter did, uh, profiles and corruption. And that, that actually fully, uh, exposed the entire Democrat field of candidates. So Kamala Harris is, uh, right up on, it's over my, uh, my shoulder there. Uh, she's, she's front and center. And just beyond her is Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, Cory Booker. Um, we, we uh, a little inside baseball. We held a draft and said, who do we think is going to be the leader of the progressive movement in the United States in 18 months? Who do we think is going to be the leader of the Democrat Party? And we did like a, like a football draft uh, for fantasy or something. And uh, Peter Schweitzer is a very smart guy. He picked Kamala. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he he nailed it. Um, and Joe Biden, we we show way more money from China, much more money from Ukraine, uh, flowing into the Biden family pockets. We've got five separate members of the Biden family who are all on the take, and they're all cashing in on the Biden family name. Um, they're getting contracts. Here's the here's the here's the kicker: is every single place that Obama put uh, Biden in charge of the foreign policy. He first did it in Iraq in 2009. Joe Biden's brother, James Biden gets contracts. Never, he's never built housing in the States, let alone in a, a, a war zone or a war torn zone. Um, and he gets this, uh, you know, almost, I think it's a billion dollar contract, this company that doesn't have any experience in building uh, developments in, in countries uh, across the world. So he gets a billion dollar contract. Hunter Biden uh, is famously, cashing in in ukraine as joe biden is the point man um during the uh the ukraine crisis the maidan revolution time period and uh on and on and on the daughter the sister the brothers they're they're all they're all cashing in and it's millions of dollars it's it really puts even the clintons to shame in some of these deals and then that brings me to the final book fallout uh and that was co-authored by john solomon the the award-winning journalist i mentioned and and we in Fallout, and, and I'll, I'll finish here and let you get to your next question, but uh, Fallout, we show the connection from the Clinton disastrous foreign policy um, in the State Department to the Kerry foreign policy, and really where how Joe Biden sits in the middle of all of these disastrous U.S. foreign policy initiatives. What about the, uh, the, actual, the actual fallout now from the book? Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, you're not going to be on anybody's Christmas card list this year. Um, Thanksgiving... Yeah, enjoy it at home by yourself. No, I've made, it's, I've it's, made a lot more friends like you, Mike, who uh, who are much better. Uh, I'd rather be uh, I'd rather be friends with uh, journalists who like to get to the bottom of things and expose the truth. It's an exciting book. Um, the evidence before you. Uh, how did you get that? What sort of uh, headaches did you walk into, or walls? Not Donald Trump's big wall, but just walls from the other side. Did you walk into it, each project builds on itself, which is mm-hmm. I would say one of our, our advantages is we've got so much institutional knowledge here, and, and so many. I mean, it's a pretty small organization, only about ten or so researchers here. Um, but everybody becomes kind of an expert in something, and they carry that on to the next project. Um, and so the DOJ was one. Th- it was one of the things that I carried on from the FBI book, and also the Clinton cash book. Uh, this Uranium One deal just didn't sit right with me, especially uh, in light of the the entire RussiaGate scandal that was completely man- manufactured out of whole cloth, uh, accusing Donald Trump of colluding with Russia. It just struck mm. me as odd. I was like, wait a second. It was the Obama administration who had the Russia reset, where she pushed this cheap 
button, this red button uh, in Switzerland with Foreign Minister Lavrov uh, from Russia. You know, they, they had this cute little, uh, it, was a, it was a total gimmick. It, it flopped because she mistranslated the word. But uh, they pushed the reset button. And from there, right at that moment, it was March 2009, it was one giveaway to Putin after another. We canceled missile defense. The United States, Obama, I don't want to say we because we didn't have anything to do with it. Obama canceled missile defense in Poland. We left the Poles in the Czech, in the Czech uh, off, uh, we hung them out to dry. They were looking forward to having this missile defense system to protect them against Iran, uh, against Russia, China, North Korea. We were going to install these uh, these missile silos. Well, um, canceled. And that was that was the first thing Putin wanted them to do. Uh, then we give these toothless new start treaties, which Putin violates with impunity. They're, they have no real consequences if you violate the nuclear treaties um, with the United States. And, and it really puts the United States at a disadvantage because we abide by the treaty. Um, so there were several tr- t- treaties that basically they gutted some of the provisions that would have held held Russia's feet to the fire. Um, and uh, let's see, the Uranium One deal, as I mentioned, I mean, that was just a massive giveaway. It was shocking. Hundred plus million dollars going into the foundation of the Secretary of State. I mean, that is, it's just an outright bribe. Mm. It looks mm. like it looks like. Um, and the and the speaking fees. Uh, Bill Clinton in Russia in Moscow taking five hundred thousand dollars for what thirty minutes of his time. Uh, it's an outrage. And so that that all outraged me so much I couldn't believe it. And then when this Donald Trump Russia collusion story came out, I thought to myself, this seems like projection. It seems like a classic left leftist move. You accuse the enemy of that which you are guilty. And uh, so that's what fallout really does is it follows the story from the failed Obama-Russia policy, Obama-Biden. Because Obama uh, Biden was the one who called it the reset first in February 2009. we got to have a reset with Russia. So we followed that and then all the way to 2013. So by 2013, Putin has fully had his way with the United States, gotten all he wants. And then he uh, is you know kind of building up forces on the border – we go into uh, you know Ukraine and foment revolu- revolutions. We've got Victoria Newland was uh, at the State Department. She was on the ground in Kiev, um, you know, helping these these uh, radical protesters oust the uh, Yanukovych government and install a government much more friendly to the United States, Poroshenko. And that's exactly who Biden is making deals with. That's who he's saying I'm going to withhold the billion dollars if you don't mm-hmm. fire the prosecutor that's investigating my son Hunter. Well, right along with Joe Biden going to Ukraine is Hunter, doesn't speak Ukrainian, zero experience in oil and gas, and then ends up on the board of one of the largest company, gas companies, oil and gas companies. They're a very green uh, family, as you can tell. Mm. Uh, oil and gas companies in Ukraine, a totally corrupt entity, according to multiple comp- uh, countries. The UK was looking into the, the CEO, Zlachevsky, the founder. Um, uh, for money laundering, among other things, for stealing state assets, uh, you know, kind of plundering the uh, the oil field. So um, I, I just I looked at this. This stinks to high heaven. And then so we tied it all in with the FBI's Spygate mm. uh, and how they were complicit in all of these schemes. I mean, Robert Mueller was, uh, you know, he transported highly enriched uranium to Russia after it was stolen from a lab in Russia and smuggled into Georgia. Why did we give that back? It was, uh, it's, you know, easy to make a dirt, not easy, but uh, it could, you know, once it's out of the lab and missing, you know, it could become a dirty bomb. Why would you give it back if they don't, can't even keep a hold on it? Mm. Um, James Comey, he's, he's, he's right up in the thick of all of this. I mean, if you wonder how people get away with it, it's men like James Comey 
and Robert Mueller have been running the FBI for 30 years almost. Uh, I almost thir- over three years. So anyway, that's that's uh, you know plenty on that, and I'm happy to answer any questions that might have arisen. <laughs> well, I'm just thinking the um, Joe Biden is sort of on the fence with the Green New Deal. I'm just wondering whether his Green New Deal it's a different. Well, it's green, but it's more paper. So maybe he's just looking for more green on New Deals. Oh, who knows? <laughs> that's funny. I hadn't even. Hadn't even thought of it, but absolutely, it's a it's a it's a huge boondoggle. Mm. Uh, it's you know four trillion dollars or two trillion. I mean, it's just trillion. You know, when when the numbers start getting up into the two and four trillions of dollars, just suffice it to say, it's it's a scam. Mm. You know, there's no, no no plan should be just aimed to cost two trillion dollars. Nobody can fathom how much money that is. So it's what the entire is what the United States spends on every single thing in the country in uh, a half of a year. Um, and this is just towards the energy. I don't, I don't see a point to it. I think uh, Joe Biden is pandering to the far left, the AOC mm-hmm. crowd. Um, you know, he said he, he goes back and forth on whether he's going to allow fracking or not. He's just trying to speak out of both sides of his mouth. He's tra- I mean, ultimately he is bought and paid for by wall street. Um, he, you know, you look at the donations uh, to the candidates, Donald Trump's uh, one fifth, of Joe Biden's donations from Wall Street. Wall Street, uh, for whatever reason, uh, loves Biden. And uh, that's actually where Hunter Biden got his start, was working for a big, big bank in Delaware. That was the first job Mm. that uh, Joe hooked him up with. So uh, I think the Green New Deal is just kind of a pie-in-the-sky idea and uh, a way to funnel millions, billions, Mm. and I guess trillions into your donors' pockets. That's the Green um, your book that is covers, the green. Your book covers Joe Biden's propensity and skills and deal making uh, during his time as vice president under a pretty average president. Uh, do any of his actions warrant investigation? And as a sidebar to that, uh, looking at the FBI and the uh, lack of confidence that you know there is at the moment within the FBI. Um, would this investigation lead anywhere? So one, do we have an investigation? Does it warrant one? And two, will the result be fair and true? It's a really good question. I think it's a, I think it's a question everyone is wondering uh, here in the States, or at least uh, those, those who consider the behavior of previous administrations to be corrupt. And uh, I do. And, and Peter Schweitzer uh, in his books, I mean, he's done two books now on Joe Biden, and he has said, I have been looking into politicians for 30 years following the money. Um, you know, gone are the days where a politician, you know, gets found with a freezer full of cash. That's just, that's not how it happens anymore. It's private equity deals, it's shell corporations, it's, uh, you know, offshore accounts. And that is exactly what Biden, Hunter Biden, is up to his eyeballs in. I mean, I have now been going through some of these non-public emails of one of his business partners. I can't keep track of the number of prospectuses and investor pitches for, I mean, effectively numbered numbered account companies. I mean, it's a Hudson West number four and, uh, you know, venture number three. And it's, you know, it's almost comical at this point. I mean, I've probably counted 50 different entities and I'm trying to wrap my head mm. around like, what is this being used for? What is it producing? The answer is nothing. It's producing an avenue for oligarchs like uh, Lena Baterina, the uh, the widow of the former mayor of Moscow, very close to Putin, a total scoundrel herself, 
uh, stole billions. Uh, I mean, most of her money, in fact, uh, from the the people of Russia. Uh, this has been, you know, she was under investigation numerous times. She always slipped through uh, the fingers. And at a, at a certain point, she was trying to get that money out of Russia. Who does she go to? Hunter Biden. Now, why on earth would you choose Hunter Biden other than the fact that he's the son of the vice president? He's untouchable. Clearly, he's untouchable because all of his business associates are in jail and he is not. Look, we had a um, in uh, when Trump was running for his first term, uh, I recall, and I think is one of the great lines and it will probably go down forever as one of those great lines, crooked Hillary. Um, Now he calls the Biden family a criminal organization. What do you think he may have been referring to? Well, I think he's been he's been advised by Rudy Giuliani, Mayor Rudy, uh, New York Mayor, who, who uh, by the way is, could it, be could be a Russian spy. Now that's pr- I mean oh, yeah. that's pretty wild. Every every everyone uh, everyone the Democrats don't like is a Russian spy. So just just be careful. Mm. Uh, you, you might be a Russian spy before you know it. Vladimir is my <laughs> middle name. <laughs> so so yeah, I I think uh, he's working with Rudy. Rudy is famous for busting up the five crime families of New York. Mm-hmm. He really revolutionized the use of uh, the prosecutorial tool known as RICO, racketeer influenced corrupt organizations. It, it, you know, it's it's when there's just constant crime being used to run a a, a criminal enterprise. And so I think that's what Trump is kind of uh, alluding to is the Biden family is run like a criminal organization. They don't produce anything. They produce Joe Biden's power, like pow- Joe Biden's power produces cash for his brother, his sister, his son, and his daughter. Uh, everyone around Joe Biden, I mean, his daughter's going to the White House and uh, getting her new company, uh, you know, launched, doesn't make anything uh, as far, you know, it, you and I, I mean, if you, if you started a company tomorrow and you went to the White House and you got a uh, kind of like a PR event at the White House. I mean, you could be a giant company overnight with such publicity. So um, it's these favors from Joe Biden that really bring in the cash to the the family members. And uh, many people have called him the most corrupt vice president, and he would surely be the most corrupt president, um, uh, at least since Obama. Do you have a view on the FBI's position on its receipt of the Hunter Biden laptop? Now, This sort of makes the news globally right now. What's coming out next, Uh, especially if you watch uh, Fox, uh, if you watch NBC, CBS, blah, blah, blah. You may not see much of it, but the timing of the receipt and if any of the material could have shed light on the impeachment bid. Yeah, well, to the the first part of your question, I think it's a very simple answer. You know, I don't know. Uh, I wasn't, you know, I don't know the provenance of it. It, You know, there's, it is kind of a peculiar story. Um, I I mean, I guess Hunter Biden could be uh, just silly enough to leave his laptop at the repair shop. I guess I've forgotten, I've forgotten things before. So that, but it's a very, it's actually a much simpler question is why haven't the Bidens denied it? And now they've had a week, they've had at least a solid week. And if it weren't Hunter Biden's laptop, then they would have denied it. And in fact, there's more evidence proving that it is Hunter Biden's laptop than there is that it isn't. Mm. Uh, Another piece of evidence that it is Hunter Biden's laptop. Someone from the Biden campaign asked for it back. So if it's not his laptop, why would they ask for it back? Mm. Uh, It makes no sense. So it it appears that it is Hunter Biden's laptop. That's how uh, many are treating it. I I have no reason. In fact, I have reason to believe it is at least authentic. uh, The files are authentic. Um, because we've been granted 
access to the Gmail account. We were given, now this is not a hard drive, this is not a hack, this is not a leak. This is, we were given the, the name, username and password by one of Hunter Biden's business partners who's currently incarcerated in a scheme that Hunter Biden was allegedly involved in. Uh, and he feels like he was thrown under the bus. Um, and while his, you know, while Hunter Biden and uh, Devin Archer, the other business partner, got off scot free, mm. so he gives us his credentials, um, and now we have a treasure trove of, like I said, I mean, there's just thousands and thousands of emails, and there's all these entities, and it's, I mean, I kind of wish he had given it to us a little sooner. Mm. Uh, I haven't been getting much sleep lately, but I have been going through them systematically. He, you know, he authorized in writing, but he does not want us to leak his laptop to the press. I mean, most people's email, I mean, it's, it's filled with personal stuff. It's a, you know, the, the only incentive this guy has to do this is he wants truth and justice because he's letting a complete stranger, i.e. me, Schweitzer, uh, another colleague uh, named Matthew Tiermond who to go through his personal life. And it, 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 it really is a tragedy what happened to him. I mean, he got, he got caught up in the wrong crowd. I'm sure, uh, you know, he's in jail for a reason. So he certainly, uh, did something wrong. But uh, he thought maybe he was protected like Hunter Biden, and he was sorely mistaken. Um, but yeah, these these emails corroborate the New York Post emails, mm. the the Hunter Biden laptop. Mm. Uh, just I'll give you a quick example. Uh, one of the first little nuggets that the New York Post dropped from the Hunter Biden laptop was uh, an email from a Burisma executive named P- Vadim Pojarski. Uh, he he contacts Hunter and says, "Hunter, so good to see you. Thank you so much." for introducing me to your dad now that completely contradicts what joe biden has been saying he's been saying he never talked about his business with his son he didn't even know his son was doing business like he just is completely oblivious i guess to his own child's uh life Mm. um i don't you know i don't know how he figures that his son ends up in a two and a half million dollar mansion in la los angeles um but that just completely debunks it so what do our emails do our emails uh show that Vadim Pojarski certainly does email Hunter Biden and Hunter Biden's associates frequently, um, giving them, uh, you know, instructions on what to do about the Burisma deals. And, you know, he mentions Mikola Zlachevsky, who is the major sticking point. I mean, the the reason that uh, Hunter Biden was hired ostensibly was to bring some form of credibility to this otherwise seemingly very corrupt company. And Zlachevsky is the oligarch at the center of it. He was under investigation in numerous countries. His assets were frozen by the UK. His UK, his assets in the UK were frozen. Um, and so what do they do? They hire Hunter Biden. Hunter Biden joins the board, no experience again in oil and gas, no Ukrainian language. So he's got to travel with a translator. It's like, what are you doing, Hunter? Well, the answer becomes clear. And who reveals it? Joe Biden himself. He says, I'm not going to give you the billion dollars unless you fire this prosecutor. It's an extremely odd move. Mm. Whether or not the prosecutor deserved to be fired, why on earth is that? I mean, have you ever seen? I have never seen the vice president of the United States going into a small, relatively small country like Ukraine and demanding they fire their prosecutor. I mean, it's like a, I mean, it's not a low level position, but it's certainly not, uh, you know, the secretary of state or the foreign minister or what have you. So it, it's a really bizarre activity. And it, and it just goes to the heart of like, what were these people paying Hunter Biden for? Joe Biden. It was it, this isn't a Hunter Biden scandal. None of this is a Hunter Biden scandal. This is a Joe Biden scandal. Mm. 
Look, the, I've got to say, as I put my glasses on, so this is the first time, uh, the Epoch Times, um, uh, Joe Biden says there's no basis for allegations that his son Hunter Biden profited from arranging access to his father while he served as vice president. And then he says the vast majority of the intelligence people have come out and said there's no basis at all. And uh, is this a uh, resurgence of Clapper and Brennan? Because the director of national intelligence, John Ratcliffe, told Fox uh, on October 19, there's no evidence tying the case of the Hunter Biden laptop to Russian disinformation. So is this just another bit of fluff, bit of crap flowing in the air? I mean, it's... I mean, it's comedy. It's, it is. That, that, it's, it's comedy. It's it's I mean, I, it, from right from Joe Biden saying that there's no basis. I mean, that's just ludicrous. I mm. mean, you, you can see uh, I mean, even the left wing press when, you know, in years past has reported on this. It's absolutely unseemly at best and corrupt out, you know, mm. at worst, uh, very corrupt. Mm. And so so that's the, that's the first part of the comedy is Joe Biden expecting us to believe that he there's like just zero basis for wanting to know why the Chinese government gives his son a 1.5 billion dollar private equity deal zero experience in private equity mm. and all of a sudden out of nowhere they Joe Biden and Hunter Biden fly to China 10 days later after in in and Hunter comes with the vice president on Air Force 2 that's unusual mm. the, the vice president is usually not in the habit of just having tag alongs whether it's your son or not, certainly not if your son is a, uh, you know, tragically, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to disparage Hunter for his, uh, his addiction. But I mean, it's a risk. It's a national security risk to bring him into a place where he could be compromised. He could be brought into a, a brothel, which he apparently was, according to the Senate report by uh, Senator Ron Johnson. He was spending all kinds of money on prostitutes and on uh, on drugs, so it's not so much about the the the, the lifestyle problem, and, and you know our heart goes out to anybody suffering with such mm. things. But it's more about the national security side of it and how you know the Biden family could be compromised through the son. And obviously, they were compromised because he took 1.5 billion dollars. Goldman Sachs doesn't get that deal. Morgan Stanley doesn't get get that deal. JP Morgan doesn't get that deal. Hunter Biden gets that deal. Mm. It's it just is completely absurd. The second part of the comedy here is that people like Clapper and Brennan think that they deserve any credibility at I mean their credibility is gone. Mm. After the Russia scandal, they completely manufactured the entire thing. Mm. Uh they 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 planted uh they planted like sources as spies. They literally spy I mean Trump was laughed at when he said they spied on my campaign. They did spy on his campaign. They put spies within his campaign. And it, even worse than a human, like human, human intelligence spy is the FISA. The FISA is, it's everyone. It's mm. not, you, you get a FISA warrant on Carter Page. It's not just Carter Page. It's, they call it two hop. This was in the compromised FBI book. You get a two hop, uh, jump from Carter Page to Carter Page's mom and anyone Carter Page's mom was talking to. Mm. Carter Page to Carter Page's, you know, high school friend and anyone Carter Page's high school friend is talking to. And it's not just a wiretap. It is everything, all data, internet mm. traffic, text mm. messages, emails, uh, Skype calls. I mean, it's, 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 it's the most intrusive surveillance that there's ever been. And uh, apparently James Clapper and, and James Comey and John Brennan can just weaponize it to take out their political opponents. So, and when Joe Biden says it's the majority 
of the mm. uh, I mean the vast he's I think he says the vast majority. Mm. It's it's ludicrous. It's fifty people is not the vast majority. And when you've got people like James Clapper and John Brennan on the list, uh, you know you're hurting your case. Just for the uh, the fact by saying it was uh, suspicious of Russian involvement. I mean, if they really want to find the Russians, I mean, just go to um, Hillary's next birthday and see what birthday cards are there. And if you if yeah. there's if there's a bit of paper there with a couple of zeros next to it, I mean, yeah, as as a gift, of course, it's uh, pretty it's, wild. It's, it's absolutely right. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I have to say, fall, though, in Fallout, there's so many Russians tied to the Democrats. There's yep, a ru- dozen plus mm-hmm. tied to Biden. Hillary, all of them. The other thing, the FBI. I mean, the FBI was up there with the Pope or the Vatican, although the Vatican's a bit uh, dirty at the moment. But the it was it was pure whiter than white. And the FBI, what's what's wrong with them? What what can be done to make them better? <laughs> Sorry, uh, and, we, well, and we only I, have three weeks to do this. All right, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Right, right, right. No, it's it's funny. Uh, sitting right here, I've got a uh, a picture of, uh, and it's a J. Edgar Hoover thing. Mm-hmm. J- it, the FBI's always been corrupt. Mm-hmm. It was founded in corruption. It was founded by J. Edgar Hoover in 1920. He kept his index cards on people. He kept his files on people, his enemy lists. Mm-hmm. He spied on civil rights leaders like Martin Luther King. The FBI tried to pressure Martin Luther King to commit suicide shortly before he was assassinated mm. by trying to manufacture or or maybe produce photos of him being unfaithful to his wife. This is standard operating procedure is to uh, just attack anyone who is an enemy mm. of the establishment. But the, and but so the, you, I'm just, sorry for cutting in, but the American people, yes, no. the American people, they love the, F, uh, they, the, the FBI is God, they, you know, along with... Uh, because that's just the general American people. Yes, the FBI. You go. You're local. They're the good guys. They're the, They're good, the good guys in the not. blue suit. They're not. Good. Well, right. Well, it's the one percent, and I think you see it. And it's not just the FBI. Mm. It's everything. Mm. It is the State Department. Mm. It is the CIA. It is the NSA. It's the Treasury. It's the Federal Reserve. It's the seventh floor. We call it. They call it the seventh floor. Uh, some places call it the shadow government. And uh, the FBI is just particularly, you know, the, the rank and file agents. And, and I and, you know, I do wonder, like, where are the whistleblowers? Mm. Um, but but typically, I mean, I know FBI agents, like they're hardworking. They want to mm. do the right thing. Mm. Usually a case doesn't involve, uh, you know, political motives like the 2016 election did. So, uh, you know, I, I, I go back and forth. I, I wonder where the whistleblowers are from these rank and file FBI agents who who we do, you know, we love the good guys in the blue suits who take out the bad guys. I mean, mm. it's a, it's a good, it's a good story and it makes for great television. But in practice, there are a lot of bad guys and there don't seem to be enough good guys. The uh, Donald, I mean, uh, it sends out a lot of tweets. Maybe you could send out a tweet to a plumber because the drain <laughs> seems to be blocked. He, he hasn't yet drained the swamp. Well, the the swamp is very deep and very wide, and I think it's much deeper and much wider than Donald Trump imagined. But I will say he is draining the swamp uh, every day. A new person is in in the media, by the way, is a huge part of that swamp. And I would say that one of the greatest things Donald Trump has done is he has exposed the media for the total frauds that they are. Mm. They, They like to hold themselves up like they are just, you know, 
you know, above reproach and, oh, we are journalists. No, you're not journalists. You are activists. Mm. And Donald Trump has exposed that. So they're, they're part of the swamp. But I wrote an article uh, after my FBI compromise book of uh, 25 members of the FBI and DOJ who have either been fired or resigned in disgrace. And I mean, at the top of the list, you've got James Comey, Andrew McCabe, Peter Strzok. These are career uh, FBI uh, operatives. Uh, Lisa Page, uh, Bruce Orr. He was the guy who was uh, his wife, Nellie Orr, was working for Fusion GPS, providing the fake intel reports on people like Carter Page. Nellie Orr was on the payroll of effectively the Clinton campaign, and then she was bringing her reports home and giving them to her husband, who would walk walk him in the back door into the DOJ. Mm. It was an outrage how long Bruce Orr remained at the Department of Justice. He just last week was fired. So you see these career operatives; they don't have a job, and their credibility is done. I would mm. love to see James Comey, uh, you know, perp walked, and Andrew McCabe. I mean, there's been criminal referrals, lying, leaking you know, share, distributing classified information to your buddies in the media. Mm-hmm. Those are all crimes. They would, they would send me to jail if I did something like that. Um, so the criminal referrals are there. Um, and, and I would love to see some arrests made. I think everybody would love to see some arrests made. But we can rest assured in the fact that they will never have credibility again. They will never, unless Joe Biden wins, get their hands on the levers of power at the FBI and DOJ. Mm. Um, so that is, that is one thing to be alarmed about. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if uh, Joe Biden put James Comey right back in charge of the FBI. Yeah, that, that'll happen undoubtedly. I mean, it's the, um, it'll go back to the status quo. Don't, don't disturb the status quo. Really, uh, really scary. Uh, it's very upsetting. Uh, uh, just love the states. The, the, the West looks at the U.S. To, uh, for inspiration and leadership. And at the moment, that's lacking. Uh, not Donald Trump's fault. I think the the the, um, the crap that's been thrown out there at the moment, Antifa, the riots, the Democrats, COVID. I mean, wouldn't you like not to be president at the moment? It's 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 unbelievable. Um, I, I mentioned before the show started taping, I wasn't convinced that Donald Trump was a serious candidate initially, mm. but now now I I, I couldn't be mm. more convinced that, he, that I mean he was uh, sent at the right time. Uh, there's only one. I, I don't. I don't think anybody could handle the level of abuse that this man takes on a daily basis, and and most of it's just completely undeserved. I mean, some of it's fair, um, but at this point, it's it's you know it's it's just so gratuitous, and there's never you know a compliment or a you know uh, giving him credit for something good that he's done, mm. and uh, it, it's 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 kind of shocking. It's a scary time. I certainly wouldn't want to be the president of the United States. Um, and, and that's for, for a 73 year old man who just survived COVID. He seems like he's never been more energetic. Seamus, somebody wants to, uh, read fallout. How would they do that? Yeah. So you could go to, uh, 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 it's on, it's on Amazon and, uh, Barnes and Noble and, you know, we, I'm, mm-hmm. Not sure if we have the same booksellers. We I, do. I should have known, but I, I haven't been to Australia, so I, I, I look forward to a trip. Well, if Biden gets in, we are accepting political refugees. <laughs> I, that's a, I, I might take you up on that. <laughs> well, I've told some friends that we have this really big front lawn and back lawn, plenty of tents. We have a barbecue each night, a few whiskeys. What more do you want? <laughs> oh, it, it sounds like heaven. I, uh, I'd love to. Uh, I, I do have a uh, plan on taking a trip there soon, so I'll, I'll have to look you up. 
Yeah, just don't drink for about three weeks beforehand because that liver will be given a really good going over. Seamus, thank you very much. (laughs) Thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. It was a a pleasure. Thank you. It's a little bit like the Leyland brothers on steroids. Pauline Hanson is uh, zipping across Queensland. Pauline Hanson from Pauline Hanson's One Nation. This is a, a truly unique experience. Thanks for joining us. Well, we're on the road. It's coming down to the wire, so every minute counts. And uh, another big trip that we're doing on the road, Mike, so it's going really well. Very important to me. It's a beautiful place, Queensland, too. I just uh, never, never ceases to amaze me how... I mean, from the inland to the the coastal areas, it's just uh, has got so much potential. But it's a pity, though, that this potential is not being realised by the uh, the Palaszczuk government, or even at times the LNP. Look, that just can't see the big picture, can they? Yeah, Mike. What what I feel is lacking with politicians is no vision for the future. You know, when Joe Bajoka Peterson was in, he had vision for the state. He got it going. He got investment. He's he really got the state movement buildings were going up um, productivity but at the moment it's just like we're band-aiding everything and I've traveled the country quite extensively last weekend I was up at the Torres Straits uh, Thursday Islands and now we're outside of Maribyrnong a lot of the state that I travel and go to it looks tired it's worn out Mm. you know the money has been put into it we've got the farming sector that's failing we don't have water security it's um, it's a real concern, and that's why Queenslanders are pretty much fed up. Mm. Uh, the new Bradfield scheme has been long supported by One Nation. Uh, are the major parties, including the LNP, really serious about it if they get in, or is this just another uh, another one of those election promises? It is the same old rhetoric, and actually it's trying to counteract One Nation. We've come out and said it, so anyway, they must jump on board because the support that we are receiving with it, do they have the will to do it? No, they don't. Palaszczuk's proven that she's not interested in water security. Um, she wasn't um, up front and taking the, the money that the federal government handed to them for the Rookwood Weir and Rockhampton. She wants to bring in the rivers, uh, pristine rivers legislation. Um, she said, look, Labor aren't interested in the Bradfield scheme. Look, it's a big project. Uh, it will devote the waters from North Queensland through Central Queensland and instead of running the original plan into Lake Eyre, I believe it should be run down into the Murray-Darling and water southern parts of Australia as well. Um, the LNP, they're saying they'll do a feasibility study. A feasibility study was done into it in 2018. So there's no need for feasibility studies and actually I've heard from some of the members it's, they're not interested in doing it. They're not interested in the mm. Bradfield scheme. So if we want productivity in the state, we want farming to continue, we want to look after rural and regional areas, we have to have water. In your view, what are the most important elements of the scheme? Well, it's, it's giving that water, water security. See, in Queensland, 20% of our water is foreign-owned. So what, they, what the governments have done, federal and state... If you go back to Howard, Howard separated water from land in 2004. So if you bought up land, you owned the water. He separated that. And then it was licensed, so people actually buy those water licences and the amount of water that you can actually have. A lot of the farmers didn't realise when they had water licences that they sold it. Now they're finding that they can't grow their crops, they can't do anything because of lack of water. Because we're a dry nation, it is imperative that we have that water. With increased population over the period of time, 
no government has really put in the infrastructure to to allow for the increased population and um, and what we need for farming. Do we need more support from the feds to get this project moving faster? I mean, to say moving faster, it hasn't moved. So that's sort of a, uh, a contradiction in itself. Feds are reluctant to do it. I was hoping they would have something in the budget. They haven't. They've put in for some dams. And the biggest dam they're going to put in is outside Stanthorpe, and that's about 12 um, gigalitres. So that's only 12... Um, 12,000 billion litres, which is next to nothing. And uh, they're not interested in doing it. Like I said, by water, and I believe that they're looking at privatisation of water, and I'm totally opposed to that water should be a commodity accessible by all Australians to utilise. And it shouldn't be open to foreign ownership. And there should be a national register, but the federal government are reluctant to put up a national register who actually owns water. So you've got people who are owning it, who have no interest in land, they don't work the land, they've only bought it because it makes them a lot of money. That is so wrong in a country like this. Mm. That's why I push for water security. We need to put in those um, water resources. Look, you've got major concerns about Labor and their commitment to water and electricity infrastructure. Can you tell us about your concerns? Right, electricity. See, if you go um, North Queensland, there's only one provider of electricity and it's uh, it's not good enough the we as a taxpayer subsidize those people in north queensland for their electricity i think it's tune about 600 million dollars a year um we need to actually put in um sustainable power diverse diversification of power i'm not anti wind power and i'm not anti solar but it doesn't provide the base load that we need we can only get that from a coal-fired power stations it is being painted as not the way to go because it's destroying our atmosphere. That's incorrect. The new coal-fired power stations are 90% emissions-free. We've got countries all around the world now who have tried the solar and wind and now putting in new coal-fired power stations. We have the coal, yet we're exporting it overseas. It's, um, it's destroying our industries, manufacturing, jobs, cost of living is going up. And we've got one of the highest cost of power in the world, yet we have all the resources here in Australia. So it's um, it's governments have driven this because they're paying billions of dollars in subsidies to foreign companies to come out here and set up their companies. If we want competition in this country, governments should not be paying for supply of power to other companies. You've been travelling a lot around Queensland, uh, as I said before, the Leyland brothers on steroids yes. uh, and driven quite safely by uh, by James, who I hope is not speeding. Uh, what does the state most urgently need with COVID still around? Slow economic growth worldwide and now problems with China trade. That's possibly hitting more of us, more of our key exports. So what do we need to do? All right. I'll just tell you, we have we have parked while I'm talking to you, Mike. So um, all good there, <laughs> that front. Look, COVID has been used as a scaremongering campaign for a lot of people. And people saying, oh, well, we've got to stick with Anastasia. She kept us safe. That's a load of rubbish. She never kept you safe. These COVID deaths are not necessary deaths because of COVID. They've actually died with the COVID, not because of COVID. And that's is not being truthful with the people. COVID has made an impact on our state, like I said, with the economy, but it's only been able to survive as such because of being propped up by 
the federal government. That debt has to be paid back. Now they're looking at talking about about uh, putting up the GST. Now, that I'm totally opposed to. You can't increase taxes to the Australian people. And the GST, if we look at it, the federal government is in debt for nearly $1.2 trillion. If we look at the GST, all that money, if we do introduce a GST, all the money goes to the states. It doesn't pay down federal government debt because COVID-19. So what you're doing, you're going to hand more money to the states who have been um, ill-prepared or cannot manage the economy, especially Anastasia Palaszczuk and the Labor government. So when what we need to do is, is look at where we're travelling. Productivity, they're destroying the farming sector. Cane growers are going under. We're losing that industry. And I just feel that um, we need to look at trying to reduce or get rid of payroll tax. Now, payroll tax creates um, less employment because they're paying a tax on the number of people they employ. I'd like to actually get rid of payroll tax. Give incentives to industries and manufacturing to start up in Queensland. They'll come from down south. They'll come to Queensland to start up industries and manufacturing. We need to look at our free trade agreements with other countries and, if need be, put tariffs back on that will protect our own industries and manufacturing. Look, we don't get much from the media. Uh, that's probably the understatement. It seems to be very left and very narrow-minded, to say the least. Now, that's globally, so it's not just here in Australia. Can you tell us what Queenslanders in rural and non-metropolitan areas, people in small businesses, uh, manufacturing and services are feeling right now? Well, you have some businesses that are actually powering head, and the COVID has actually increased their sales. They're doing extremely well, like Bunnings and Harvey Normans and, and JB Hi-Fi and some of these ones because they really weren't affected and they weren't shut down like a lot of, the, a lot of other small businesses. As I've travelled around, the big problem with a lot of um, businesses, they can't get staff. And they're doing long hours. The employers have to work themselves because of this reason. The job keeper and job seeker, although it was very good in the very beginning, what it's done is made people reliant on the welfare system. Their attitude is, oh, well, why do I have to go to work? I'm making more money now, paid by the government. Why should I go and get a job? Mm. So this this is not good for our economy and it's not good for people's state of mind. Um, it's this handout mentality has to stop. Um, people have to realise that may have got to come from somewhere. Mm. You know, it's either your your family, your neighbour, um, who, who's paying your way, for your way of life. And I think that we need to take a hard stance on this and it can't keep going on. So the COVID has been used as a scaremongering campaign. People are playing up on it. They're quite happy to be sitting around, have their lifestyle and expect someone else to pay for it. But we're going to ha- end up handing on a huge debt to our future generations. And that concerns me because we can't pay down the debt. It's called debt for equity. Mm. Someone will come looking for their money. And we may lose our resources, our land, or our, who knows. Mm. But we need to wake up to ourselves. One Nation has candidates in a large number of seats in the Queensland election. Which are the seats we should watch for possible upsets? Look, if you get out of the southeast corner, more so Mike, because, you know, the southeast corner is just being brainwashed by the Greens and by the Labor Party, um, full of um, 
public servants. But I think, um, you know, there are there are pockets that people are starting to wake up. So if you head north of Brisbane, if you look at Gympie, Maryborough, um, and then you go further north to uh, Rockhampton and uh, Keppel, which Sundays, and Cook, um, and even Therengawa in um, in Townsville. So there are some uh, very strong parts of um, Queensland that One Nation is, is polling well. We feel that we're very good. But look, I don't always believe the polls. They had us last election at um, 3%. We end up pulling 13% at the moment. They've got us on about 12%. Mm-hmm. So they don't indicate the truth of how people are feeling. Look, the uh, while you're on this trip, and I know you're, you're very busy getting to the next point, um, uh, one of the fun things about driving, this is sort of a sidebar, is when I used to drive from Melbourne to Mildura, I used to always stop at Witchy Proof for a... You know, the, probably the greasiest burger and best cup of coffee and chips ever had. Now, we, we need some culinary advice here from either you or your co-pilot. Um, and actually, you're the co-pilot. He's the pilot. James is yes. the pilot. Have you found any great places for a burger that's to die for and, and, and the best coffee on your, on your trips around Queensland? I hate to disappoint people, but I'm not a real big um, coffee drinker, drinker. I enjoy my instant. You know, might be shocked by that. <laughs> Same so here. I'm going to be upfront. I like my my Macona, sorry, or my cup of tea. Yes. But um, yes, look, I I got to be honest. I get fed up with going into these shops, and they will not make the coffee hot. I yeah, you've got to have it boiling, don't you? Yes. I'm from the old school and I want extra hot yes. and they will not give it to me and I've said, I'm over this. So yeah. anyway. And I, um, I always have it though, light milk. But what about burgers? What about a, a great I burger? Love, I love a good steak sandwich and I love a um, and I love a, a great meat pie. But I tell you what, I had a fantastic pizza, um, one of the best I've ever had. Oh, really? And that was actually, yes, at the Cooktown RSL. Fantastic. <laughs> It's a long way to go for a pizza, but maybe it's just worth it. And, and, and if once the borders open up, once, once Nana Anna stops his crap, once we can get the thing moving again, people can start to travel up far north. And what a magnificent part of the world. And then maybe, maybe if they mention your name, we can get that slice of pizza at 10% off. <laughs> um, well, anyway, it'll be worthwhile trip to go up there, but... Um it was absolutely fantastic. So Cooktown RSL for a great pizza. But I love a good pie. Yeah, same here. I, I am a pie eater and I go and test all these pies around the place. Not good for the waistline, but um, I do enjoy a good pie. Do you like the square ones or the round ones? I like the square ones. No, I never thought about it. There, uh, there's a difference. There's, I mean, there's a difference. I mean, the, the, the square one is not as thick as the, uh, as the round one and it's got... Really oniony meat in it. I mean, it's, it's, it's my, isn't it terrible? Look at that. Jenny Craig will be getting back to you and I in no time. <laughs> oh, look, it's nice to have you know, take the fun out of, um, you know. Mm. You know, it's, it's good to just have a bit of a chat about something different that normal people get away from the politics yep. on the road. Politicking is what everyone on the road goes through, don't they? You know, yep. they're going to have a good coffee or a good, 
good pie or, or places that you go to. But I've got to say, I've travelled Queensland quite extensively. There are some fantastic um, cafes and restaurants I've, I've eaten at. And, you know, I've been in the food business. It's not an easy gig. No, it's tough as well. It is a lot of hard work. And I take my head off to, to these people. So it's, um, I'd say to people out there, Get out there, travel around, go and mm. see our country, say hi to these people, leave a few dollars there. It goes a long way to, um, to helping them. And as we say, we're all in this together, not so much for, uh, for, for Canberra or the state politicians or the public servants because they're not in it with us, but the rest of us are and we've got to look after each other and start to show, as they would say, show some love. Mike, you're so right, and, and, you know, the pennies dropped with me being back in Parliament for the last four years, and I got back in it because, you know, I love this country, mm. I care about the people, and, and try and make a difference, and I mm. think that most politicians go in there with that, that attitude, but talking to the public, you know, they've given up, they mm. feel absolutely hopeless that no one's really listening to them, it's all about us, we've mm. only, you know, it's all about ourselves, what's in mm. our pay packet, you know. But at the end of the day, I really care about what I'm doing. I'm trying to make a difference for people's lives. Mm-hmm. And uh, so there's not a hopelessness about it. And I'll tell people out there, you know, it's really up to you. If you want to throw in the towel and you don't want to take an interest in the policies and what people stand for and look at the candidates and take an, and know how to vote, mm-hmm. that really um, upsets me that people are whinging, oh, where are your preferences going? Well, I'm sorry. It is the voter that holds the ballot paper. Mm. You are the one that marks that paper. Mm. Your vote will go where you mark that, that ballot paper. I have nothing to do with it. So I'd suggest to people out there, if you really want change, you're fed up, then go and take an interest. Understand why you're voting for a party. Look at their policies. And um, it's all up to you now. That's all I say. Pauline Hanson, let me tell you, you are making a difference. Enjoy Queensland magnificent countryside the scenery is to die for thank you very much thanks mike everyone take take care and be safe bye that sound you hear is not uh clapping it's not thunder it's my knees knocking because it's that time of the week once again where we throw all semblance of normality out and we have from Las Vegas, the once gambling capital of the world, the universe. Yes. And further, yes. further from that, but no more. But Kirk Clyde is still there, soldiering on. Kirk, welcome. <laughs> I am. Thank you so much, Mike. And, you know, Sheldon Adelson, he just threw in $75 million into Donald Trump's campaign. But you know what? That big tax cut from a few years ago, he netted about oh, $300 million in tax savings. That's just off the top of my head. That may not be completely accurate, mm-hmm. but that seems like a pretty good deal. I would gladly spend $75 million to get $300 million back. And his newspaper, which, yes, I pay 50 cents a week for the Sunday paper and online access during the week i like to know you know where the murders are in in the neighborhood so he's still doing everything he can to prop up to prop up president trump saying the race tightens here in nevada so donald trump apparently believes he has a chance to win here in the silver state so he showed up with another one of his super spreader rallies but this poll they're using i mean really sheldon adelson come on unbelievable Kirk, and stop my- that that's 50 cents you know you know you need that money you could have recycled that paper 
I can still recycle it. I can still. And I love this one. This one just came in the mail today. These are my friends of the Culinary Union. And Las Vegas is one of the still only real big union cities in America because of so many of the hospitality workers. But a lot of the workers that I've talked to, I mean, they're really facing a choice on what to do because the union, of course, they want to stay with the union, but they want to go back to work, too. So some of the hotels actually have decertified the union, which is kind of interesting. I think it's a lot of fear tactics from the casino companies, but we'll see what that happens. But to my friends at Culinary 226, I just love this one. Trump's big ego. And then it just goes on to talk about, you know, want four more years. Trump lied about coronavirus. I mean, we are still we are still dealing with so many deaths here in Nevada. It's amazing. I think today there were another dozen. We're running about six to 700 cases a day, as most states are seeing their cases escalate. But at the same time, things are opening up. Even in Maryland, for instance, we here in Nevada don't have fans yet at the, uh, for instance, the uh, Raiders games at their brand new stadium. Beautiful new stadium. Tax dollars paid a lot for it. The hotel room tax. And of course, you know what's happened to that money. It's just slid right downhill. So they've yet to have any fans in the stadium and they're already in their emergency fund. But some NFL games, they're looking at about uh, 10 percent of uh, total attendance. Mm. So it's just a crazy psychotic world that I think most Australians and many watching this throughout Asia really wouldn't believe what's going on. We're trying to normalize what's happening. You know, I'll be honest with you, I've already voted. I'm, I'm, I'm so paranoid this year, Mike, that I actually went to the polls on Saturday morning when they opened for early voting here in Nevada, my neighborhood polling location at what I now qualify for, the Senior Center, <laughs> the Whitney, Nevada Senior You don't Center. look so, so old, was, though, Cook. You don't look old. You. Thank you. I appreciate that, Mike. But Come anyway, on. I went there and the line was so long. I said, I tell you what, I'm just going to go home and fill out my mail ballot because everybody here in Nevada, all registered voters received a ballot in the mail. Mm. But I kind of like to vote in person. But well, let me just show you. This is the sample ballot that we've got going on here. It's this page. It's this page. It's this page, including the uh, general election ballot questions, and one of them, very interesting, question two, a lot of them deal with local state minutia that's kind of hard to go into. But ballot question two was fascinating because it would actually take the prohibitions of same-sex marriage out of the state constitution, because this is one of those instances where federal law trumps state law. So federal law with the Obergefell ruling, of course, said that LGBT couples can get married, but the state constitution says no way. Mm. So this will uh, this will change that. It looks like it's got a good chance of passage here in Nevada. But then, of course, you have the new Supreme Court justice that's coming on and fascinating. You know, the, the Republicans say it's all about court packing. But mm -hmm. what have the Republicans done the last five years or so? Interesting, too, of the 198 federal judges, which has been a remarkable achievement for the Trump administration to get on the federal bench with lifetime appointments, of those 198, how many were black, were African-Americans? Uh, Mike, just go ahead and take a guess. Of those 198, how many? Uh, one, two, hang on, hang on, three, mm -hmm. four, mm -hmm. uh, you're going uh, the wrong what, way. what about um, one, two, three, I pick 30. Zero. Wow. 
Zero, zero is wow. the number there for you, Mike. So that's pretty remarkable. Can I try that I again? Mean, Can I, oh, it might be a prize. I mean, let me think. Oh, zero. What about a zero? Zero. That is correct. <laughs> so it's really remarkable. And speaking of judges, mm. that's one of the reasons I didn't mind filling out my ballot at home because a lot of them are non-contested uh, races, but they're every judge in Nevada is elected, which I think is a little crazy. There were 64 judicial positions to vote for on the ballot. So if somebody's getting there and hasn't done their research, hasn't gone through their fabulous Clark County, Nevada sample ballot, they're in trouble because there are a lot, a lot of things to vote for. But now there's supposed to be an online ballot tracking service. Mm. And I haven't seen mine show up or my partner Mark's show up because he voted a couple of hours the same way I did a couple of hours later. So now I'm semi-paranoid about that. So I'll be calling tomorrow. But it does seem like a very impressive turnout, not just here, but really all over the country. And uh, that is, uh, you know, as much as the Republicans want to diminish turnout, I think the enthusiasm and especially a lot of the enthusiasm by the young people is uh, pretty impressive. I'm impressed also that, uh, is that Nancy in the background I hear? I hear Nancy Pelosi. No, is that Nancy? No, it's not Nancy. Come here. Get there we are. Look at this. This, so is this, is, this is great. This is amazing. This is an amazing little dog, I will say. Personality Plus would not have been my first choice. It's actually my partner Mark's dog. But she is very smart. I will give her very smart. And oh, at the dog park, she is the star. But, you know, she likes those big boys. She now, Nevada and California, dogs. Evil yeah. and Kirk, are sending ballots to all voters for the first That's time. That's right. With very short with a very short period of preparation. How do you think these states will cope with the deluge or avalanche of mail and ballots without even considering possibilities for fraud or just basic stuff-ups due to, say, well, poor know, online security or the bad state well, you know, of some electoral rolls? Do you think, do you think maybe this could be a complete and utter stuff-up? Well, you know, I'm waiting to see. Like I mentioned, I want to see that my ballot has been received. I put it in a big yellow box in the polling area. Uh, but they have a lot of ballot security because what they do is they have ways to correct mm. ballots if there's a problem. For instance, what you do is you fill out your ballot, which, you know, has all those things I showed you on the sample ballot. And then you put it in a secrecy shield, which mm. is kind of like a wrap around that mm. ballot. Then you put it in an envelope which has your name printed on it with a barcode. And then you have to print your name and you have to fill in a certification that that's you. And what they do is they do a signature match. And if your signature doesn't match, then they would call you to try to rectify that to see what the issue is. And, you know, I think that's pretty good. You look at the details of voter fraud across the country. It's minuscule. Can't wait for next week because oh. it's the last one before oh. D-Day. Oh, I hope I ballot. I hope I find my ballot. Make sure you ask that question. Make sure that it's been counted. So it is very, very exciting here in the U.S. And we're all just holding on and uh, hoping for the best. We'll talk to you next week. What a show. And that's it for BNAP Today, Friday, October the 23rd, 2020. Have a great weekend. I'm Mike Ryan. For the Asia-Pacific region. This is Business Now, asiapacific.com.